You're listening to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. Wow. So, as always, man, just awesome to be with you today. I'm just thankful. I look expectantly to meet with church family. I do. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. And in a moment, we'll read the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 and, and dive in. Um, I just want you to... Today, take another step with the gospel. Last week, we talked about the fact that the gospel is not a game. It's not a game. And then this week, I want to just kind of dive into the idea of answering that question, per se, as what is the gospel the gospel is serious business is our title today the gospel is serious business today i um while you find your places there we did something friday night that i haven't done in a good while christy's been to the movies with the girls occasionally here and there but it's been a while since she's been also but we Went on a Friday night. It didn't really dawn on me until we pulled into the parking lot that it was a Friday night. I mean, I should have known it was what day of the week it was, but yet, but it was it was it was cool. I mean, we we went. We had a uh, there was a movie that uh, she wanted to go see. We, we've each got a movie we want to see, and so we went and seen hers first. I'm just throwing some point pointers out there to you guys. Y'all, y'all with me? So we went and seen a movie that she wanted to see, um, and and you know I didn't not want to see the movie, so. Uh, we went. The movie itself was—I was amazed at how clean it actually was. I, I don't remember any uh, like sexual innu- innuendos thrown in there. The language, nothing, no, no real cringe moments. You know, those those moments you go, "Ooh, Lord, oh gosh, here goes another one." Uh, hopefully, you have those moments. Like, not that you're hearing that stuff, but when you do hear it, it does—it's not normal to to hear. So. We're in there, and man, things have changed. Even since the last time I went to the movies, things have changed. And I look, and, and, and the, the, the trailers and the commercials before the movie, the movie may have been rated PG-13, but they need to rate their commercials. Because it's like, it's like rated R on the commercials. I'm like, good gracious. I mean, I come in here to watch a... PG-13 movie, but here I got to sit through this. You know, you can't hit pause. You can't fast forward. You can't change channels in the theater. And so we made it through the commercials, and it's a trip, man. You always have people, right, in the theater. You're sitting there going, oh, please, please, when the movie starts, hush, you know? We had, there was one family that was right behind us that had went to the Asian buffet thing or the Asian place there in the mall. And in a brown paper bag, they must have had 50 trays. It probably wasn't 50 trays, but I mean, I'm like, why couldn't you have given them a plastic bag or something? So at periodic times through the movie, somebody wanted their tray and they was digging them out trying to find their tray and it was eating. You know, which is not fair because I'm hungry, like all the time. 
you know, and I'm smelling all this teriyaki and all this other stuff, and I'm going, man, we're eating popcorn. That, that I didn't stop by the thing and put butter and salt, extra butter and salt on, so we were eating uh, not yummy popcorn, just good popcorn, but not yummy popcorn. So we're sitting there, though, and, I, and I'm just thinking, I'm just going, you know, it's kind of true what I read on the internet the other day that in a day's time many of our children and grandchildren will see in one day more sex and violence and crude language than our grandparents saw in their entire life. They're going to they're going to see if, if we allow it, they'll see all, more in a day. And, and to say that that does not do something to them, as a matter of fact, every adult in this room probably knows what that does to you. Not, not, to, not bragging on me, I'm bragging on God. I just, just looked at my, my phone. It's, it's, it's amazing that Sunday mornings when it sends my notification. I don't know if y'all get that, your weekly usage notification. <clears throat> down 88% this week. You can look at my phone if you want to, just to believe. And, and it's not nothing about me, it's just we've been doing some other things at the house other than just sitting on our phone. Um, I actually been, like, cleaning out some closets and things. Actually, we ain't even made it to the closets. We've, we've taken six trash bags, 30-gallon trash bags of clothes and shoes away from our house and ain't even made it to the closets yet. <laughs> to God be the glory, Right? Um, but thir 80, whatever it was, 80-something percent down. And, and, and it hits me, and I go, wow, what were you doing? You know, that, that you can cut your phone usage by 80%. You know? I, I know what I wasn't doing during that time. I, I wasn't reading my Bible during that time. I was not spending quality time with family during that time. It's been hard, but 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 also been trying more so to lay the phone down when we're eating. I, I'll, I'll instinctively go to it, but then realize and try to put it down, face down, right? What does that have to do with the gospel? Well, first off, I think that the gospel has always been... A, a relevant need, always. But it is a desperate need in our day. There's such a lack of, and, and there are always times, there are times of reform in, in history where it seems that the, the culture was driven more toward the Word of God, more toward the things of God, and then there are times when the culture seems to be, you know, in a deficiency, if you will. Uh, not reading the Word of God, not the caring about the things of God and all. But if there's, if there's a time in the, my lifetime, and, and I believe in your lifetime, that stands out as the time when there has been less care for the things of God and more need for the gospel, if there is a such thing, is today. It, it, it is today. Not only that, the, the, we, we all would profess probably to believe that the time is 
changing. There, there are things shaping up in our world that we look at, and we, as Christians, we, we kind of go, wow, this, this is interesting at the things that are going on. The, 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 the communications that are going on between countries and the allies that are being formed and where they're being formed and, and, and all of the, uh, just the things that are de de deteriorating in some areas that are manifesting in others. It just seems like th that there's this birth pain, as the Bible says, it just, it's growing in, in, in a sense. So the gospel is, has always been needed is definitely needed today. And what we need is a correct gospel. You've heard me say it so many times. We need to try to get the gospel right. And you would say, well, it's easy. It's not as easy as you think. It is easy. It is simple. But it's not what our flesh desires. It's not what we naturally desire. And I want to read these five verses to you. Take and, and, and look at four particular things out of these five verses, but, but we're going to use context from Romans uh, chapters before, chapters after, and, and just kind of uh, dive in here about the gospel being serious business. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Father, I ask again, God, that you would allow us to be able to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say, be able to discern those things, let truth reign today. Father, that you would allow me the privilege to communicate these things in, through your power and not any strength of my own. And we thank you, God, because everything that we have and everything that we are Belongs to you and is because of you in Christ's name. Amen. When I look at the text there that we have, and it's, sometimes it's so hard to, to, to grab some text to just kind of use as a, as a place to just stay and stand there and not grab everything. But I believe these five verses communicate the things that I want to get across this morning. And, and when we look at verses 1 through 3, there's a word that stands out that I think we need to grab a hold of, and it's just a two-letter word, the word we. Therefore, having been justified by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, he <clears throat> says, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and then he says in verse 3, not only that, but we also glory, and he goes on, we. Paul in Romans especially, not say that he attacks, but he does come with a full frontal assault on the righteousness that the, 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 the Jews feel like that they have in, in God because of Abraham. 
Abraham is seen in the Jewish eyes as uh, actually a human being that really was right by God, by God because he didn't do wrong. And that's so contrary to our thinking, is it not? That, that you know, we, we would think that if anybody knew that men weren't perfect, it would be the Jews. But they held Abraham so high, and not just Abraham, but today we're focusing just right here, that, that Abraham was held in such high standards that he actually was righteous before God, and then that gave them their right to be right with God. And Paul does what he does by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and he, he shows us that the gospel offers an open invitation. And I think this is important for all of us to be reminded of, that the gospel offers an open invitation. When I say open, in other words, it is for any who would come in, in, in faith, that any would come, that he would receive them. And the Jews didn't believe that. They believed that salvation was, was, was tied specifically to them. And God breaks this barrier, if you will, in Romans here. I want us to look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 for just a moment. I want, to, I want to read through those things. And while you find your spot there in Romans 4, 1 through 8, listen to Acts 2, 21. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But see, the Jews didn't think that way. And it's amazing sometimes, too. I wonder what it was like from the Gentile side of things. That, that you know, being somebody who is not of the commonwealth of Israel, to, to think that if you've been told for countless years that you could not get to God because God only allowed you to come if you were of a certain breed or certain pedigree or did certain things and that you had to you know shape yourself if you wanted to come that way into their traditions and there are many people that think that way today that it's no way that i can come to god because i can't meet up to uh, you know the, the requirements that everybody uh, puts up the standards that they put up in their traditions of their religion and listen to verses 1 through 8 romans chapter 4 it says what then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And, and here God allows Paul to quote from Moses and really put in their place uh, where, where righteousness comes from. It's not from works, but it's from faith. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he says this, blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So we see an initial breakdown of 
this idea that righteousness would come through a particular group and, and through, a, through works of that particular group. But then in just a moment, we're going to see how he spreads that out to all people. So the gospel offers an open invitation that you and I know that the Bible teaches when one day every tongue and every tribe, every nation upon the face of this earth is going to have representatives there in heaven. No matter what creed they came from, no matter what country they came from, no matter what culture they came from, that there are going to be all peoples, all people groups represented. And it's hard to, to, to grasp that sometimes when we grow up in cultures to where we, we see these, these separations, the, the fractions, if you will. There's this kind of folk and this kind of folk. And I, I just share this with you. I, I have a personal problem with certain names of churches. I, I do. It may not be a godly thing. I'm just saying I, I personally have. Uh, I feel it to be right by God. But uh, cowboy church, biker church, we might as well go ahead and not hear and put white church and black church and everything else, right? You, 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 we, we can have a Volvo church and a Chevy church, you know? And, and it sounds facetious to be saying it like that, but think about it. If you see a sign that says biker church, what does that tell you? Come on. That's, where, that's churches for bikers. And I understand the heart of it, and this ain't no personal attack on it. I'm just, just saying the truth of it. Why in the world, you, you know, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Fourth Baptist, you know, and all this, why can't it just be church? I mean, why, why is, and this, I'm just, this is just, I gladly, you know, talk about it, but why, why is it, why is it that there's still barriers? You know, I, I got a friend, and he'll disagree with me on this probably, but that's fine. I got a friend that pastors a biker church, and, and I, I've told him before, I'll tell him again. I don't, I feel like that I don't belong coming by the church because I don't ride a bike. And if I feel that way as a preacher, well, how, do, how, do, how does somebody else feel? And I, I'm not wanting to, but listen, that's what they were dealing with. Here's, here's the Jewish way. And if you're a Gentile to be, you got to buy you a bike. You know, because you got to go through all these rights and you, you come up under our guidelines when there's only one way. As a matter of fact, the gospel declares an exclusive application, an exclusive application. Look in our text, if you will, chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You know, 
Sometimes I feel like it's like this is so redundant that we go over these things over and over again. But then I get to thinking, you know, if the choir didn't rehearse, the choir couldn't perform a cantata like it needs to. We've often said that when you know you're ready to sing something is when you don't need the sheet music no more. When you don't need the words no more. And that's hard. Why? Because it takes repetition over and over again. You and I as the children of God, the gospel that saved us is also the gospel that sanctifies us and it's the gospel that will glorify us. And, and, and so if we know anything, we need to know the gospel. As a matter of fact, a lot of people try to divide this book up into all these different kinds of ideas, but there's only one idea in this book. It's the gospel. And so if we major on anything, if we, if we rehearse anything, it ought to be the gospel because there could come a day when they take this away from us. You say not in America, as I said in the first service, you need to take that statement and throw it in the trash because this will never happen in America. They've wore that out. It can. Don't know if it will, but it can. As a matter of fact, there's probably communities in the United States of America where it's already happening. In Europe, there are Muslim communities where they put their law into a, they establish their law in that community and the government leaves them alone. And I'm hearing that in the United States of America, they're already starting to do the same thing here. And so there could be a time when you may not have a physical copy of this. Or, or you'll have to hide a copy. There are places in this world where the gospel got spread into and they would take a Bible in and they would tear all the pages out and share the pages around. So that everybody had an opportunity and they swap the pages the next time they meet. There are some people that have lived their Christian life on this earth with just an excerpt from the Bible. The gospel declares an exclusive application. Acts 4.12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. And then let's look at Romans chapter 3, because Romans chapter 3 shows the, the, the breakdown of that, uh, that barrier between uh, you know, Jew and Greek also, but then it also nails down some exclusivity when it comes to the gospel and Christ and our salvation. So in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 30, listen to what it says. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Did you see that? To all and on all who believe. How, how many are all? It's all. You all, we all, I all, it's all. All who do what? Believe. And believe on who? Jesus Christ. Very exclusive. The Bible says that there is a narrow gate. Difficult is the way. And few that find it. Then there's a broad gate. And, and, and wide is the way. And many there go, be that go in by it. But there's this narrow 
exclusive application to someone's life that comes to faith in Christ. It's not through any works that we could do. It's not through any handed down righteousness. Because I, I think about Abraham and how the Jews seem to be riding the coattails of Abraham, but it's not any different than any of us trying to ride our grandma's coattails or our mama's coattails or daddy's coattails. And it's sad as a pastor to watch sometimes how, how lives are, 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 are so distorted and they come in for a funeral or they come in for a hard time in life and you see them so distraught and it's because the patriarch or the matriarch in the family has died and they do not know how to cope with life because their salvation seemed to hinge in that particular person. And, and I don't mean, that's not to throw a rock and say that even saved folks can't struggle with stuff like that. What do we do now? How, how do we live now? Verse 22 again, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's what unifies us. That's what unified the Jews and the Gentiles. That, that's what makes common ground at the foot of the cross is that all have sinned. And, and, and Paul points out that Abraham was a sinner also. He had to come by faith just like Mary did, just like Elijah did, just like I did, and just like you do. That everybody, all of sin, and falls short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. And that's a capital H. His grace being Christ's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is, it he, or, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Bible says, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. I want to go back up there and catch a word for just, just a moment so we, we can transition over to our next thought. And, and it's that word propitiation. That whom God set forth, Christ, as our propitiation. That, that word is often translated even for the mercy seat. That in the Old Testament, in the temple or the tabernacle, they had the, uh, the, the Holy of Holies, that private sacred room in the back, uh, where even at one particular time during the year on the day of Yom Kippur, they would bring the sacrifices. Everybody would bring the sacrifices for the sins of themselves and their families so that they might give that sacrifice and they would take and they would slaughter that animal and they'd take that blood and they'd take that blood into the Holy of Holies, apply it upon the mercy seat. And that animal's life was given in exchange 
for the payment that was needed for the life of the ones that committed transgressions. And, and the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And what it's talking about is the fact that when that blood from that animal was taken back into the Holy of Holies, it was proof that that animal was dead. For the life of the animal, the Bible says, is in its blood. And so when they take the life of the animal out of the animal and they take it back there and apply it to the mercy seat, that, that there was a guarantee that that sacrifice had been given in exchange. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. Um, our, our sin offering, one life exchanged for another life, making atonement for us. And, and it also teaches us in the Bible that, that Christ, instead of bringing animals multiple times a year, over and over again to atone again and again, that Christ entered the Holy, Holy, Holy of Holies in heaven as our high priest once and for all. He sacrificed himself there on the cross, shed his blood, took his very life to the mercy seat in the throne room of Almighty God, there in the Holy of Holies, to atone for our sin, that He gave His life in substitute for our lives. Amen? And it's just through Him. It's not Him plus a work. It's not Him plus a, 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 a indulgence. It's not Him plus anything. It's not Him plus my heritage of the church that I go to. It's not Him plus a denominational name. It's not Him plus anything. It's just Him and Him alone. It's just Him. And I say it again, it's just Christ That's what they nailed to the door in the declaration. It was Scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. Just Christ. And so many of us, it's hard sometimes because we feel like that we have to do something. And do we have a requirement? Yes, and I'll get to it in a moment. In the Christian life, but as you'll see in just a second, it does not save us. The gospel provides for thorough compensation. That's a word a lot of folks understand nowadays, compensation. We want to be compensated for everything, don't we? retributions. My brother and I have a, a plan. We want to use the things that they're doing today just like everybody else can. We're going to identify as ninth graders. Because we want to go, we're going to go back to college, but we ain't going to pay for it. We want to identify as ninth graders. And then we want retribution for the fact that when we went to high school, they didn't teach us what they teach them now. So they done us wrong. So we want to be, you know, we get what we deserve. So let me go back through the system. But I also want access to all of the uh, grants and all of the scholarships and stuff. And then when I sign a piece of paper that says I'll take a loan out, I want to be forgiven my debt too. Amen. 
I mean, hey, you get to identify as whatever you want to identify as today, right? And you, you get to be paid back for stuff that you was cheated out of. So, compensation. Be compensated. But when you think about our salvation... What does God demand for our compensation? It is appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die, and after that, the judgment. Our sin debt, our uh, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, everybody is appointed to die. But then after that, the judgment. And in that judgment, if we have not had full compensation, we will be compensating for our sin for all of eternity. Because you and I can't atone for our sins, right? We, we can't satisfy God. Therefore, God's wrath is never quenched. It, it, it's never quenched. It's actually kindled upon unrighteousness. So there's never, and, and that's what makes hell, hell is that God's wrath is continually upon the unrighteous, and there's no way to atone for it, so it is an everlasting, eternal, always-going-on judgment, unless you're in Christ. Because in Christ, there is a thorough compensation. Uh, let me take you once again to Romans chapter 4, and I'm going I'm to just grab one verse for time's sake here, and, and it'll be verse 3. But I want you to know that the phrase that we'll have in verse 3 is used 11 times in 25 verses. And in chapter 4, Paul seems to nail down this idea of, of what we find in Romans chapter 5. And we'll look at it in just, just a moment. Verse 3 says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, credited to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him for righteousness. However, it's translated, it's, it's the idea of this credited to someone else's account. In other words, so what Christ did on Calvary's cross, when he atoned for our sins, in, in the, if you will, in the ledger of heaven, in God's economy, our righteousness was not credited there. Our righteousness was actually a debt on our account. That's why when, when he says w w the works, a man is, is, is in debt more because of his works. In other words, there's nothing that we can do. So the more we do, we seem to get in more trouble with God. But then Christ, when he atones for our sin, it is, it is taken. And when we trust by faith in Christ, it is accredited to our accounts. His righteousness is applied to our account. End of story. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, and having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, I want to go back, and I want to walk through this for just a second so Mike can grab a hold of something. 
So when I come to faith in Christ, when I trust my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, His atonement, that God has, has, has uh, made a way for my salvation, and I put my faith in that, then in heaven, if what the Bible teaches is true, then my account in heaven is settled. It's stamped with paid in what, church? In full. Okay, so that's settled, right? So the gospel does that for me. And if you're saved, the gospel's done that for you. Then, if my account is settled, then that means that every trespass that is accounted to my life has been covered. Would you agree with that? But see, we don't live like that a lot of times. A lot of times we live like, well, he paid for everything up to this point, but then what do we do with the rest of it? Well, look, let's, look, let's look at this again. Colossians 2, 13, 14, he says, He has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. Now, now here's that word again, all. So what does all mean? It means all. Does it mean it means all of what was, all of what is, and all of what shall be? Because, see, Christ only goes to the cross one time. Amen? He goes one time, once for all, for all times. So when he was on the cross, that you and I, everything that we ever owed God, and we think so much in the idea of actual sins, like, he, like I lied to my third grade teacher or I stole this thing from grandma or whatever, but it's bigger than that. He paid for our nature. Because, see, our nature is changing. It's already settled in the accounts of heaven. One day we're going to have a, something happen to us called glorification. But, see, the gospel does that too. But we're going to be made right, made whole. We often talk about it, don't we? You know, one day I'm going to have a new body. And all those loved ones that we have that have gone on before us, if they're in Christ Jesus, they don't suffer anymore, right? No more crying, no more sorrow, no more tears, no, no, no more pain for the former things have passed away. But don't miss the fact that mine and your account in heaven is settled. That, I want to just give a moment for that to just sink in. If you are saved, then your account in heaven is settled. Take a deep breath and suck in the clean air. Let it soak into you that you don't owe God anything for your salvation anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who love God or called according to His purpose. Just think about that for a minute. That's why when we say, I'm free from the fear of tomorrow. I'm free from the guilt of my past. See, we, we often want to rejoice in the past part. And then it's like, well, I'll just make the future better. If you make anything, it ain't going to be better. But God can. 
God can, can take and change what your future is. As a matter of fact, in his economy already has. And one day he finishes the work. From now until then, you and I are in a process. And I want to say this, but I want you to get it right. I, t I used to think of everything as being a mistake. But everything is in the economy of God. It's a process. I wonder sometimes why things happen in my life. But now I go, I need to learn from this, God, because you allowed this in my life. You allowed me to be alive today. And now, God, it's a process that I'm going through. And the process is not to hurt me. The process is to make me better. And to make me better, it means to make me more like Christ. And so every day of my life and every day of your life that you live and you fail, God took it into account. It was a part of his plan. When Christ died on the cross, he didn't miss some debt that you owed that one day some bookkeeper in heaven's going to look and go, oh goodness, we missed this part. No, he took into account all of it. And when he did, he died for it all. And we know that he died because his blood left his body. And when his blood left his body, in, 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 a, in a spiritual sense, God had Christ to bring his atonement to the mercy seat. It's amazing. He's the sacrifice. He's the mercy seat. He's the high priest. Why? Because if man put his hands on it, it'd be a mess. But God did it all himself. And every covenant that God keeps is God doing it all himself. Because you and I can't keep that kind of covenant, but God can. And so God, <laughs> do we owe it all to him? Yes. Can we pay it all back to him? No. No. God's never provided any means of justification except through faith in him. It's always been that way. And if you look at Romans chapter 5 real quick, um, let, me, let me just show you these things in our text. <clears throat> look, look what happens. We'll start back with verse 1 again, but we'll, we'll, and we'll catch a couple of things, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Did you hear that? We have peace. That, that this full compensation now gives us the benefits off of this compensation. Now we have peace. Why? Because our war with God is over. It's finished. It's settled through Christ. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. How? By faith, but we have access. In other words, we now can come to God and there is no hindrance between us. God's not mad at you anymore. God's not, God's not against you anymore. That debt is settled. Now he says, 
Come boldly to the throne, not in your own righteousness, not in your own strength. Come boldly because of Jesus Christ to the throne of Almighty God that you might obtain mercy from a throne of grace. Come on in. Come to me, he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. You say, preacher, I've messed up as a Christian. I've, I've let God down. You didn't surprise him. Didn't surprise him. And he made provisions for you to have a fellowship restored with him. He says, if you will confess your sins, he said, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and fellowship is immediately restored. But hear my heart. Just because fellowship might be hindered at times, it does not mean that my salvation has left me. And not, let's see, I'm sorry, in verse 2, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have hope. And we have a hope that does not disappoint, the Bible says. I don't know about you, but it's, hope's a good thing, is it not? <clears throat> We've almost lost hope at times. Especially the last couple of years, we just don't know. But see, it depends on what our hope is in. As the song says, my hope is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. My hope is not in Washington. My, my, my hope is not in a party of people. My, my hope is not in myself. My hope's not in an economy. It's not. We may live very well in the near future to where we can say at the end of it, I have had and I have been content, and I have had not, and I have learned to be content in that as well. Because what stays consistent? Christ never changes. He is the God of the rich and He is the God of the poor. And He's just as much God in either place. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he, is, he Himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not of ours only, but also for the whole world. God empowers a visible presentation. And I'll, I won't labor this one. I just want to show it to you there in the text because <coughs> I think it's necessary. Do we have a work that we work at? Yes, we do. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We, have, we work faith out. We do. And, and here's the thing. Just as you, you see God in the trees as if God put His hand in the glove of creation and showed us that, that you see our faith because of what we do. But see, we mess that up so much in our lives because we're told so many things that are unbiblical. Because I was listening to something on the radio just the other day. We'll read these verses to kind of pull it together in just a second. And the preacher said, he was referencing David and Goliath. And he was trying to tell people that, you know, if your finances, if that's your giant in your life, or if your health is your giant in your life, or whatever, 
that God, the same God that slew the Goliath in David's life will slay that giant in your life and all this stuff. And, and, I, and, and, and that's the message that they got across. That's all the message they got across. And I told Christy, I said, that's wrong. That's so wrong. It's out of context. Giant, the giant Goliath was not coming after David's finances. That giant was not coming after David's health. That, that giant wasn't coming after David's family. David ran up on that giant because David was in the will of God for his life. And that giant ran up on David because that giant was defying the armies of the living God. And they didn't understand it, but David made it clear to him. Where is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? I'll show him what the deal is. That the same God, listen, that the same God who delivered me from the hand of the lion and the mouth of the bear, he said, he said the same God will slay this uncircumcised Philistine. And where was he at when he ran into the lion and the bear? He was doing what his daddy was telling him to do. And so I can tell you this, that if, if while you're walking in the will of God, that if there are insurmountable things that come up in your path, can God and will God deal with them? Yes. Sometimes God puts them there to teach us lessons. Sometimes God puts them there and he removes them out of our way because it is the enemy that is stopping us from getting to an appointment and God wants us to get to the appointment. But it's not my giant to fight. It's God's giant to fight. But then overall, we have to remember that ultimately, and this is where we get so many things mixed up, people claiming by his stripes we are healed from all of these little things in our lives. But David was a type of Christ. And Goliath was a type of the debt that we owed. And, and when Christ died on the cross and, and he slew the giant that we could not slay, David foreshadowed that in that Old Testament passage. And so is it true that God can provide finances for a need? Yes, for a child of God in the will of God. Yes, he can. But what I want you to understand about this is, is that the gospel is what empowers God's provision, his presence, and all those things in our lives. It's the gospel. Listen to chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. In the will of God, we, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance. This is the process of sanctification working out in our lives. And, and, and perseverance or endurance produces character and character <clears throat> produces hope now hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit whom was given to us why does hope not disappoint i just told frank stanley on the phone last night there are times in my life even recent times when i look and my flesh begins to question the scriptures but then I look, and I have to say, as many have say, said in days gone by, you've come along a little too late to try to convince me that God's not real. Yeah. 
because he saved me and he sanctified me. And I'm not the same yesterday as I am today. God's bringing me along. And the fact that God is doing these things and has done these things, it gives me a hope. The same hope that Abraham had. The Bible says that Abraham looked for a city whose builder and architect was God. And it, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, if I find within my heart a longing for a place that I have never been, never known, it must mean that I'm made for a different world. I believe by faith that the same God that saved me is the God that's going to glorify me. The God that's going to remake this heaven and earth. And that hope doesn't disappoint us. Because in the greatest times of tribulation, true faith in Christ is going to surface. And where there was a timid at times, person not knowing what to do, that he says that in the times of those tribulations where we fall short, where we lack, that he will cause us to be able to speak and to act for his behalf. And he's done it before. He's done it in many of the folks that we read about in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 Verse 14 through 15, I'll read this one and close. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judged us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer to themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That you and I should now live not to ourselves. And if you think about it, it makes good sense, don't it? I... When you think about what you would invest in, would you invest in something that you know is going to fail? I'm just asking. Would you invest in something that you know is going to fail? Most people wouldn't. Then why would we invest in the flesh? Why would we invest in the flesh? It'd be like me trying to sell you futures in a wildflower field. Because the flower fades and the grass withers. The, our flesh, if we sow to the flesh, the Bible says we will of the flesh reap corruption, but if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap eternal life. That's why he says, don't lay up for here on this earth treasures for yourselves, where moth and rust can destroy, thieves can steal. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy, nor thieves can break in and steal. And that's why you and I are to, we are to live our lives submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That everything that you and I work at, we do all things as unto the Lord. And he says that none of that stuff is going to fade away. That it will be laid up in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I, um, <laughs> Daddy told me one time when Video Poker came to South Carolina, he said, son, he said, anything that'll back itself in a corner and take on anybody that walks in the door, you better leave it alone. <laughs> There's no winning in the end. I hate to burst your bubble, but there will be some people who see themselves victorious over there at the casino, but I promise you the house wins more than they lose. You're going to see it here soon because they're taking their winnings and they're going to build this grand casino if Lord wills to give them the time to do it and allows them to do it. You say, the Lord wills? It's all in His time. All in, it's all in His hands. It's all in... Not that, he, not that he's wanting it. I'm just saying he's allowing it. And it's going to be built up all grand. But it's no different than the lives of people who sow to the flesh. We build up lives for ourselves, our own grand hotels at our houses, our own kingdoms, if you will. And we build all these things, invest in all those things. And then guess what? One day it's going to be destroyed. It's going down. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment. I wonder if in your life right now you just, you would simply say, you know, <clears throat> I, I've never really understood just how free I am in Jesus Christ. And sometimes it can be a little overwhelming. I just want to give you this time to process a few things. I want, to, I want to give you this time to question some things. But here's the ultimate deal. Sometimes it takes weeks and months and years to process certain things. So you ain't going to settle every debt today. But if you do have questions, you do have things that you would like somebody to pray for you with, we're here. I'm going to be down here. and I'll gladly pray with you and pray for you. And also... If you don't know Christ as your Savior, and today you have come to the realization that you need your debt settled in heaven, you need the, your account credited with righteousness because you've never been saved before. God's never, you've never placed your faith in Christ, and Christ transformed your life that way. He's here, willing and able that if any would come. Now, you don't have to come to me. I would love for you to, I would encourage you not leave this place without talking to me because I would love to help lead you in that direction of your next steps and how you would grow in Christ. But you do what God's prompting you to do for His glory. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. Father, today God is all for you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you, Father, for the atonement that we have in Christ. And Lord, I just ask you today that you would work in your people's lives, mine included, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can reach us at life at crc.com.